You are listening to Future Voices, a podcast brought to you by Beha Futures Foundation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Futures Voices podcast brought to you by Bosnia Skomina Futures Foundation. Uh, today, we're going over to Texas. I know we've been going to London for the last few podcasts, but today we're in Texas. But let's start with this. Being open to a new idea and opportunity and looking beyond the scope of your university curriculum has always been something to treasure. Today's podcast guest, Maz Haidarovic, knows this quite well. After moving to the United States with his family in 1996, he graduated from high school and earned his bachelor's degree in political science at Concordia University in Chicago in 2013. But his path took a different turn. Maz began teaching himself to code and realized his interest was in design and user-centered experience. He began his experience as a user interface and user experience designer, UI UX, at a well-known marketing agency in Austin, Texas, Fahrenheit Marketing, where he got his lead design efforts until he established his career as a product designer at some of the largest companies in the United States, which includes Verizon, which many of you will know as one of the largest wireless operators in the United States and possibly in the world. Today, he works as a senior product designer at Facebook, where he leads design for the publishing experience team. He strongly believes that an educated young population is the spine of any strong society and country and hopes to support young Bosnians on their career paths to success. We are very excited to welcome Maoz Haidovic today in our podcast. And uh, hello, Maoz. Welcome to our podcast. And how's Texas? Uh, you are currently in Dallas, Fort Worth, if I'm not mistaken. First of all, thanks for having me on here. It's, uh, it's a privilege to uh, be on here and just talk to uh, your listeners. But um, yeah, I'm currently in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we're actually currently going through a bit of a freeze. Um, so today's high is, I think, 29 Fahrenheit. Um, and next Monday, we'll have, I think, a high of 19 Fahrenheit. So uh, not your typical background of Dallas, Texas, but that's what we're going through right now. So it's not our, not our typical scenario of uh, Texas, uh, hot weather, steaks, I guess, scenarios. And today we also have another special guest joining us. Unfortunately, Aida, our other co-host, is not joining us today. We want to say congratulations to her because she is recently married. So that's fantastic and exciting news. She will join us for our podcast again in a few, few episodes. But joining us today as the co-host, we have one of our very own scholars, one of our students, Lamia Gutic, who's a student at the Faculty of Electrical Engineering in Sarajevo. Thank you for having me as the co-host on today's episode. But let's kick things off, Mel. So you established your career in this ever-growing IT industry, um, certainly not the first, probably won't be the last. Uh, you hold a degree in political science. How did you decide to all of a sudden think outside of what you initially studied and decided to become this IT product designer? It's, it's a story that I have to tell every time I introduce myself to somebody as a, a product designer. And once they see what I majored in, it's kind of jarring. I think I went to school initially with a thought of what kind of, I guess, what's the biggest impact I can make myself, my family, uh, our trajectory, and just kind of um, also, I was interested in maybe what's the impact I can make on um, my home country, just with a basic background that I had coming from Bosnia, uh, born right at the beginning of the war. We stayed over there throughout the war and just kind of, I guess, got to experience that as a uh, in, very early in my life. 
And just from the stories that I was told about the one and the impact it had on my family, I think I always had an intrinsical kind of interest in somehow benefiting my country. And so I, I went into college with a plan of going into political science and coming out, maybe being a politician in the U.S., maybe um, helping uh, Bosnia somehow through politics. But uh, throughout my time at college, um, I started to realize just from networking and meeting people that it wouldn't be as easy as I initially thought it would be. And I, I just started honestly losing interest in that field um, with every year of college. And I started taking different classes, different, started being interested in different things and ended up majoring political science just because I had enough credits to do so. And then I also ended up minoring in sociology and business marketing, just because it was kind of more like down the alley of what I was kind of transitioning to. And so after college, I graduated, I began looking for what I can do with my degrees. And at the time I was in Chicago and it was shortly after, you know, it's the 2008 crisis. This was in about 2013, uh, but Chicago was still kind of suffering from um, the crisis economically. So there was really a hard time finding jobs um, that paid well in that time. And so I just started doing random jobs just to kind of get by. At this time, my brother and I were living alone. So it was just basically, you know, what can we do to pay the bills? But little by little, I started kind of kind of reevaluating what I want to do with my career, with my life. And I went back to what my basic interests were as a child. And I was always technology and computers. I remember very early on, we got a computer and I was super young. And the first thing I installed was a AOL messenger and uh, created a MySpace account and started kind of like, uh, just like any other kid my age, um, basically creating MySpace code and backgrounds and things like that. Um, so that was kind of my first exposure to coding uh, websites. Um, so that's kind of what I started looking into. And um, at this time, I was working at Apple um, as a, uh, they call them geniuses, um, but I, I would say we're far from that. Um, but basically, we uh, were in the back of the Apple store, just kind of repairing technology, uh, phones and computers. Um, so I was interested in coding um, with Swift, which was Apple's native language. Um, so I, I began coding and little by little, I kind of started to notice that most of my time coding was spent kind of in the in the viewfinder, um, just kind of designing the user experience. Um, so I, I would be spending 70% of my time just playing around with designing the user experience and then the rest kind of trying to put together uh, garbage code, uh, which never ended up working out. That kind of helped me realize that, okay, maybe my interest uh, actually lies in, in design rather than coding. And so obviously, since I didn't go to school for that, I had to figure out a way to teach myself. So I started watching a bunch of YouTube videos, took a bunch of free online classes, uh, paid for some classes online, and just kind of jumped in and started um, building design experiences from scratch, started mimicking other websites and, and applications that already existed, and little by little started creating my own portfolio online. I think maybe a year after that, I started just offering free websites and, and kind of Squarespace websites, Webflow uh, websites to friends and, and family members, um, and which helped further create my portfolio. And then I was found out um, by my first job, the marketing agency in Austin. Uh, the CEO actually found my Behance profile, which is kind of an online portfolio where designers uh, showcase their work. Uh, he reached out to me on Behance and just kind of asked if I'd like to come by for an interview. Surprisingly, my first day at an interview, um, I got a job offer immediately. <laughs> at that time, I was pretty excited. I didn't really care what they were gonna pay me. Um, didn't care what what the job description was. I was just excited to get in the door. 
Uh, and so I accepted that job and that's what kind of started my, my career as a designer. Um, I think that first job kind of just validated for me that this is something that I could do going forward. And I knew as soon as I got my foot in the door, I, I would just kind of do whatever I needed to do to figure my way out uh, going forward. You mentioned how you taught yourself to code first, but then you realized that you're interested in the UI UX design. What made you know that UX UI design is the right path for you? The IT industry is growing, but a quiet number of young people are still afraid to look for their place in it. How should we make it easier to find our place in the industry today? The main thing that kind of helped me realize that this is what I wanted to do was it, it was something that kind of kept me up at night, which I think a lot of people would think of as a bad thing, but um, that's just how interested I became in, in this. And it was because I think I have a natural instinct to uh, love solving problems. Um, and when I think of user experience design and, and just UI design as well, I think of it as like a basic way of kind of trying to solve problems digitally uh, with digital experiences. And so when I started looking at it that way and started realizing that there's actually a science behind user interface design, it's not just about uh, figuring out what color buttons should be or where they should go. Um, it's also about looking into, you know, what's the statistical uh, data behind uh, whether we place the button on the right or on the left. And it just kind of appealed to me that that science behind creating a better experience for people. Um, and when you look at it also, it doesn't have to be a food delivery application or something benign like that. It could also be, um, if you're thinking about revolutionizing the medical industry, UX design is going to play a huge part in that in the future. Um, and just being able to kind of have an influence in that aspect, I think it's a, it's a pretty big deal for me. I think the second part to your question, I think what worked for me was just not being afraid of exploring um, different things that I was interested in. I think a lot of times, especially with our background and where we come from and kind of like what our parents, or at least my parents drill into me is hard work, um, work ethic, and kind of stay the safe route um, with a career. Um, just kind of, you know, figure something out that'll make you good money and, and stay the safe route. And I think that kind of stays with a lot of kids, uh, my generation, um, and, and it might prevent them from exploring different ideas that they never knew existed. Yeah, I can certainly attest to that. I think uh, many of the parents from Bosnia-Herzegovina tell their kids to pick a safe career and uh, steady on, keep going. Don't rock the boat too much because otherwise you might you might have a failure in life and uh, God forbid that you have a failure in life, you learn from it. But let's touch on your experience with uh, Facebook at the moment. I'm very interested to hear more about the role that you currently have, this uh, publish experience team. Many of us interact with Facebook on you know, a regular basis probably don't don't uh, stay away from our phones for too long without using Facebook. But also I know that many people don't understand, uh, you know, how Facebook works in the background and what your team actually does, the experience, uh, publishing experience team. Tell us a little bit about this role and what a day-to-day -day type uh, job looks for you, looks like for you. Just to give a little context, uh, uh, I design at Facebook. Um, I don't know exactly the amount of design teams there are at Facebook, but there are a lot. Um, it, I, I don't think it would be crazy to say there are over 100 different design teams at Facebook. And each design team has maybe, you know, a couple to maybe five, six designers in it. So it's a, it's a pretty huge group of people working on just the design, the UX and UI design um, at Facebook. And so kind of when, you, when, when talking about the publishing team, 
I guess the, the simplest way to explain it is anytime you publish content on Facebook, um, my team basically touches that. We look at the experience that you go through when you land on your Facebook feed and you tap into that little what's on your mind box at the top and you want to write a status or when you want to post a story or something. We're basically working on that experience, looking at the easiest way for you to do that and, and kind of creating the most pleasurable experience uh, in that aspect. UI design shapes the way we see internet, but we, the users, usually aren't aware of the process behind the creation. What we see is only the forefront. How many people or how many teams does it take to create what we see as end users? And how does the IT industry um, work with creative people, with people who actually see the creative aspect of the UI UX design? I think it um, depends greatly on the company itself or the product itself that you're talking about. So for example, being a in the creative field at Facebook is very different from being in the creative field at Ryzen or even um, Peria, one of my earlier companies. Facebook is a company that was created with design in mind from the start. When you think of Ryzen, Ryzen started before, I guess, the modern day UX uh, field was created. Um, and so when you're at a company like Ryzen, as a UX designer, sometimes you find yourself battling to be seen or heard. Um, or your opinion or your uh, work suggestion or something to be, I guess, valued. Um, so it greatly depends on where you're at and what you're working on. But I'll just kind of give an example uh, of Facebook itself. Um, so there's a, there's a, a process um, that goes through UX design uh, and creating something with UX design in mind. Um, and it, it's a process that simply is, uh, in the simplest way, it, it starts with, discovery, so you figure out what the problem is. Um, and that, that can involve several different teams, not just design teams, but it can involve project managers, um, engineers. It, it'll involve users, obviously, giving feedback and, and letting us understand what the problems are. Um, and then from that discovery phase, you'll go into strategizing what kind of makes sense uh, to solving that problem. And so you'll kind of evaluate your design principles um, which are the backbone to the characteristics of product design and the user's experience. Um, and then after you're strategizing and you're, and you basically have a good evaluation of what the project roadmaps are going to be, um, you jump into user research and kind of communicating with users and trying to see in, in different ways, what the problem is and, and where it comes from and what causes that problem, just to get a better understanding of what we're trying to solve for. And then you, that's, Finally, at that point, after that point is when you actually start designing. Um, so design itself, like when you jump into a program and you start kind of figuring out how something's going to look, how something's going to work, it's a very kind of small piece uh, in the entire aspect of, or in the entire process of, of design. But yeah, so once you're in design, that's when you're kind of figuring out, you know, what the information architecture is, what, what the navigation is going to look like. Um, you, you create the design comps. Um, you create prototypes for, for people to test out. And then after that, you will jump into implementing the actual design and testing it afterwards after the fact. So there's about maybe five, six different pieces uh, to the puzzle. Design is just one single piece. Um, and the design basically, even in, in the design piece, it's not just creatives um, that are involved there. 
you'll be bouncing back and forth between creatives and PMs and, and business analysts and, and information uh, architects. There's a lot of people involved. And that's why I believe that one of the biggest reasons or one of the biggest ways to succeed in design uh, currently is just having a good understanding of soft skills and working with people and, and understanding what different what the needs are from of different departments. And so I, mean, I was looking at your career, uh, we noticed that you've had, I believe, seven different or seven, you've worked for seven different companies in a relatively short time span of about what five to six years or so. Um, tell us a little bit about that whole journey of uh, jumping from one company to another. I guess, uh, as you said earlier on, our parents might see this as a very unstable career pathway, but it's quite common today for people to jump from company to company. Uh, what made you do that in this particular pathway? And what have you learned through all the different experiences? I mean, you've worked at some companies. We mentioned some of them already, uh, including Verizon. But what have you learned in that pathway in jumping from company to company? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the parents because I, I feel like every time I would see my parents, they would ask me if I'm still working at the same place because um, it's just unusual to them that I would go um, from different company to company that often. So they probably um, ask you which company you're going to next <laughs> without revealing ex that. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that's it's something I get asked quite a lot, um, even from other peers who are kind of at, at the same company for a few years. I guess my best explanation to it is I've always been contacted by other companies um, and not to like toot my own horn or anything. I, I realize I'm far from uh, the most uh, talented designer out there. It's just, I feel like that I like to evaluate all my opportunities um, that, are, that are presented to me. Um, and so when I'm contacted by a company, I obviously give them the time of day and I, I listen to what, what they're about and what they're looking for and whether I fit that bill. I'm constantly being contacted. And I think a lot of designers are constantly being contacted for jobs because it's just a very uh, popular field to be in right now. A lot of companies are looking for uh, designers and being able to understand what you offer to a company is, is the biggest tool um, that you have as, as a designer, or I think honestly, as a, as a career professional in general, um, I feel like a lot of people don't understand or don't really um, get what they can offer. Um, and so they'll go into like a, a interview or a negotiation with the company and they'll just settle for whatever they get first because they don't, they don't really fight for what they'll, what they'll bring to the table. And so I, the way I look at my career is I, I'm in it for myself. I'm in it to better my life, to better the quality of my family's life. And so if I'm presented with an opportunity that will do that for me, and I feel like I could fulfill all the needs that they have, um, that's something that I'm going to go towards because I've learned more going from company to company and analyzing that change than I have at any given point at, at one single company. And I, and I know this won't obviously apply to every field out there. Um, I just think that this is something that's somewhat unique to the design field, maybe even software engineering field, where a lot of companies do things very differently, uh, especially with design. A lot of companies have different processes. Um, so coming to Facebook, for example, I have the experience of five or so other companies before where they've had different processes where I've helped solve different problems at those companies. And I could bring that skill set to Facebook where if I had gone from maybe just match and I've worked there for four years and jumped to Facebook, I wouldn't have all of that experience, if that makes sense. Um, so I've never really been afraid uh, to jump from company to company. Um, it's not about I'm not worried about seeming as like 
an unloyal employee. I'm more worried about bettering myself and bettering my skill set. And when I go and meet with a empl- potential employer, I could express to them exactly what, what the values would be that I would bring to that company. Is there any lesson you've learned about communicating with people and in teamwork and or actually making decisions along the way? Yeah, definitely. I, I'll speak more to the lessons I've learned uh, just related to design because I think that's where the biggest, um, I guess the biggest lessons I've learned come from. Um, and one of the biggest lessons is kind of just never being attached to your work. There's a phrase that some designers throw around that kind of sounds harsh, but it's kind of true. Um, and it's, it's kill your baby. What, what that means is basically like when we get attached to something that we're designing and we work on it for a few months, um, night and day, uh, a lot of sleepless nights, whatever we're working on, we kind of become really attached to. Um, and at the end of that process, we'll bring it into a stakeholder meeting and we have a table full of people that weren't there along the entire process, for example. Um, so they don't, they don't have the full uh, picture of the context behind what went into that design. And they'll start negatively criticizing it or giving negative feedback. Um, and what I've noticed myself doing at the beginning of my career and a lot of designers still um, do is kind of we just become defensive and, and we just find excuses for whatever we've done, where what I've noticed helped me a lot was take all that feedback and just kind of ask myself, okay, do they have a point? Um, and when I get to a point where I realize or where I think, okay, maybe they, they don't have a point or I'm just not understanding what they're saying, I try to gain context by asking where they're coming from. Because like Facebook, for example, has thousands and thousands of employees. Um, and there may be 10 employees that have the same exact job title, but each one of them come from a different background, uh, come from different companies with different uh, career paths. So one of them might know something that the 10 or nine other ones don't know and something that I especially don't know. So understanding where they're coming from and asking where they're coming from has helped me a lot. And kind of it's, it's, it's helped me realize that we could come to middle ground more often than not. It's not, it's not a popular thing amongst designers to, to acknowledge this, but designers for the most part are pretentious. Um, and we sometimes think that whatever we're working on is just, you know, the hot stuff. And there's no way that, you know, this, this older guy that never has designed before knows better than I do. But what you have to realize is he's coming with experience from, from a different field and maybe what he is giving feedback on is something that he knows a little bit a little bit better about than what you know about. So I think just kind of getting to a middle point with people, um, coming to an understanding in those stakeholder meetings and just kind of listening to other people's feedback and taking it as uh, constructive criticism rather than negative criticism is really helpful. And that's, that's, that's something what I, uh, when I talk about soft skills, that's something that I really feel like is missing in a lot of meetings that I've been to. Um, and I think it just kind of, it further alienates design and designers from the rest of the company. One thing that I'm curious about, as I'm sure many uh, Facebook users are, and I guess you, you may not have the answer to this, but what actually evolves the user experience design from the Facebook side? Uh, often, you know, we start using the tool and then we realize there's an update or there's a change. There's, a, there's an entire interface change that's occurred. And sometimes we feel that it was perhaps driven by uh, some user experience feedback. Uh, sometimes it's driven by new technologies that are emerging. Sometimes it's driven by something that probably happens in the Facebook end. 
But ultimately, what is it that drives, uh, say, interface changes, the ones that we tend to see rather than the ones that we don't see in the background at Facebook? How is that decision actually made to, to flick the switch and say, okay, guys, tomorrow we're going to launch a, a new feature on, on, the, on the Facebook interface side, whether it's a publishing experience side or something else that happens in between? I, I think, again, it, it still depends on the product. So within Facebook, there's a lot of different product teams and, and categories. and a lot of times, those changes that you get, those updates that you get, um, are because of metrics that we get um, or user feedback that we're getting that kind of doesn't hit certain metrics that we're trying to hit um, or we don't accomplish certain goals. So we make little tweaks here and there um, to, try to, to, to try to reach those goals. A lot of times, also, it's experimentation. If you want to think of yourself as a, as a guinea pig, um, that's, a, that's one good way of looking at it. But if you notice, and I think Instagram does this pretty well, you may have Instagram on your phone and your colleague could have Instagram on their phone and you may have a different uh, looking Instagram that they have at the same exact time. And so it's, you, for example, got a push um, to update your Instagram app because Instagram had an idea that maybe uh, a navigation at the top of your screen would work better than at the bottom. Um, whereas your friend still has the old school Instagram look it's about just kind of figuring out what works best for our users. Um, we'll push certain updates out because uh, we want to experiment with different, uh, different UI, different uh, information architecture alignment. But a lot of time it's also because we want to reach certain goals that we, we notice we aren't reaching yet. And we have an idea or a solution that we think might help us there. There's also a lot of times when, when somebody has a team has a good idea, um, backed by research and, and data that something might be a better experience because you'll notice what, no matter what app you have on your phone, if it's an app that's currently supported, their design is going to change pretty much year to year, if not every other year. And so design is rapidly changing all the time. You never want to be that product that's kind of using design languages from a couple years ago or design trends from a couple years ago. Um, so whenever we notice we're falling behind on something, that's also another time when we'll push out an update as well. As I might go back to something more uh, private and uh, I noticed in your biography that you were born in Chaplina, but you basically grew up, uh, or you say you, you're from Stolots and Mostar. Can you debunk for us? My family is originally from Herzegovina as well, from Eastern Herzegovina, from Gatsko. So I know the importance of saying where you're actually from and uh, who your family is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Just curious to know a little bit more about your upbringing and, and debunking this whole Chaplina, Stolats, Mostad uh, triangle of where you're from, where you grew up and who you know. I always say those three because I never want to offend anybody in my family. My family is all from Stolats. Like that's where our, our family comes from. My dad, for example, is from Stolats and everything, but I, I was born in Chapina and that hospital in Chapina is the only tie I have to Chapina. So I feel like I still have to say that I was born there because technically I was, um, but I really have no tie to Chapina. My ties are to Stolats and Mostad and Mostad is like, you know, if you live in, in Stolats or anywhere around Stolats, Mostad is like the, the, the big brother city that you go to for everything because Stolats is still a very small town or city. But yeah, that's also where we have our, our family house in Mostad. Um, but yeah, my, my grandma and uh, everybody else, my family still lives in Stilets. So I feel like I just have to claim all of them. And maybe touch on the point of uh, traveling from Herzegovina, obviously, to, to the US 
the whole experience, the transformational experience in your early, early, early life. You were relatively young when you left, uh, much like myself when I came to Australia. But still, I'm sure you have some memories of that, of that trip and traveling across to the US and maybe talk us through the first few days of your life in the United States. What, what, what was the major change that you saw and you were shocked by? Yeah, it was, um, I think I was about four, almost five when we left uh, Bosnia for the US. Um, there are still some memories I remember, uh, just very vaguely, um, of when we were still in Bosnia. But, at, you know, the situation there was bad to the point where every birthday I had in Bosnia was always at a different uh, town or different house. Um, we were always on the run, um, going from shelter to shelter, people that were willing to house uh, people in their homes. And we're just kind of always on the move. And I, I think it took us until after the war, uh, 96, to actually get our uh, refugee status and, and to be able to fly out to the U.S. And we were placed in um, DFW. That's kind of, I think, where our sponsor was at the time. Um, so that's where we had to go. Um, and there was also just a, a few families there already, uh, Bosnian families. But yeah, so I, I still, I came at a still a very early age, but I remember the vastness of everything, and especially in Texas. Like, uh, it, it's not like New York City or, or somewhere that's surrounded by just um, like it's not a concrete jungle. Um, it's not surrounded by mountains. It's not surrounded by anything. It's just really flat and everything is just wide apart. So I just remember that was really different. I remember being sent to pre-K um, shortly after we came here and I would not have it. I, I kept crying every single day until my dad came to pick me up. But yeah, growing up here, it was, I think it was easier for me just because I was really early. Um, my brother is six years older than I am, so he had to go through, I think, more of an adjustment um, and a change. But yeah, I think overall, I, I was really fortunate that my parents were able to still bring us here and kind of afford us the opportunities that we got. I don't know if, uh, if I would be where I'm at right now if we didn't come here or maybe if we went to a different country. You never know. Uh, but it's one of those things that I think I'm always grateful uh, to them for. Although you lived um, in the United States for most of your life, you still seem very attached to Bosnia and Herzegovina and um, the people here. Is there any way you would like to help the youth of Bosnia and Herzegovina and how can young people here make their lives better by investing in knowledge and education? I think I'm always, I've always been tied back uh, to Bosnia and Herzegovina because my parents, um, they always made sure that my brother and I never forget where we came from and what our traditions were and culture and, and things like that. And so I've always grown up kind of wanting to contribute somehow, improve the education, um, educational system over there, um, just give our students and younger people more hope um, than what currently exists. Because I've noticed just from, you know, networking and, and meeting people that there's just an abundance of knowledge um, and smart people over there. And, and people that come over from over there are just hardworking, knowledgeable and just persistent, um, no matter what they what they are interested in. But yeah, that's that's one thing that also attracted me to this organization that you guys have, just kind of being able to create a springboard for um, students over there and young people over there to kind of pursue their dreams is um, something that I think more of us should be doing. We really appreciate you uh, joining us and also sharing your experiences with us. And uh, one thing's for sure, and that is that Bosnia Herzegovina Futures Foundation is definitely attempting to connect uh, people like yourself who have developed these incredible careers 
but definitely connecting the dots, uh, connecting our diaspora and making sure that we channel this knowledge and experience towards the young people, the future of Bosnia and Herzegovina, making sure that we stay ahead of the curve or at least track what's going on around the world by being connected. And that's one of the biggest advantages that we have, that we have this enormous population living outside of Bosnia, gathering new experiences, developing new products, uh, conducting research, and we have to capitalize on that as quickly as possible. So really appreciate you uh, sharing your experiences with us on that. But I want to say one last thing before we com complete our podcast for today, and this is for all of our listeners. So the next time you publish a story or, or picture on Facebook or anything along the lines of this publishing experience, just remember one thing. Bosnian Herzegovina's very own, Meaz Haidarovic, was involved <laughs> in some design aspect of that, guys. So people are essentially interacting with you, Meaz, on a daily basis without even knowing that. Yeah, I think you just made it sound a little creepier than it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, sitting here reading everybody's posts, um, so no worries. No matter what you guys read about Facebook, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think I'm, I'm kind of pretty to what your guys' conversations are. But I think one thing that I, I do want to say before I go is, um, I, again, I realize that I'm not by far the most talented person you guys have had on the podcast, but I think if there's one thing that I could offer or kind of um, give to the users or to listeners, sorry, um, no matter what you guys go to school for or what you guys have an idea of being when you grow up or when you uh, start your careers, um, I think we live in a day and age where in, at a short amount of time, you could quickly pivot if something isn't working for you. Because I know a lot of uh, Bosnia Herzegovinian people my age and even younger they may start a career or start something where they become unhappy or they feel stuck. But I don't really think that that's the right way of looking at things. There's there's people that I know in my field that are even more successful than I am that have learned everything that they know simply on Google and YouTube. Um, so it's completely possible. Um, if you want to do software engineering, you could completely learn that online um, and just get better as you go on each job. Um, so I think it's it's important to kind of keep that positivity and optimism uh, in our youth. Um, and again, I think, you know, your organization does that really well. And honestly, just looking through some of the people involved in your organization gave me a lot of hope as well, looking at, you know, people from, from back home uh, and the careers that they have. It's something that's really influential and kind of helps to keep me, you know, going and keep me pushing forward. So hopefully that it does that to a lot of people as well. Thanks again, Mao. It's really uh, inspirational, to be honest. And please uh, don't for a second think that we that we judge and rank our guests on the show here. Everyone has something unique to bring, unique stories. And it's very important for everyone else to hear these stories and connect. And I'm sure you'll have a fair few requests on, on LinkedIn and social media uh, post this podcast going uh, live to the audience. But again, thank you so much for sharing all your experiences with our listeners. Uh, Eddie Chustovic here, uh, signing out from Australia. I'd like to say thank you again to Lamia Gutic, our scholar, our, our next leader of this podcast. And there you go. We have an opportunity to show people how we develop young talents. We give them an opportunity to join um, podcasts like this, to lead podcasts like this. Lamia, without putting too much pressure on you, how did you feel you went through your third podcast here with uh, Maus? Took some important lessons, certainly, because I think learning about being open to new ideas and adapting yourself to different circumstances is always important. So thank you, Maz. Yeah, thank you both for the opportunity. And there you have it, folks. Futures Voices signing out again. Look forward to 
having you join us again on our next podcast. Until then, we say goodbye from Melbourne, Australia, Dallas, Texas, and Sarajevo, Bosnia-Herzegovina. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you.